eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And just like that, we're back. Another edition, the second of the week of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate, going against my own advice, going against the precedent that you and I just set earlier this week that got great reviews, and that is recording the night before instead of the morning of. But it was a busy day yesterday, so I am recording the morning of. So as I said the other day, my mom says I sound like I have a cold if I record in the morning. I can never tell the difference, but I'm recording in the morning. So if it sounds like I have a cold... It ain't a cold, it's just the morning. We got a full mailbag this morning. We got a busy weekend on deck. It is a huge weekend in the SEC. That tends to happen a lot when you play 10 conference games. So we got a number of questions that relate to that. We really got questions that go all over the place. So quickly, if you want to contribute, joshpate706 at gmail.com, at LateKickJosh on Twitter. I also highly advise you follow me on Twitter, just really because I'm a fun-loving person, but... It's, if you get down to brass tacks, we also release a lot of our official plays there. Sometimes I can't wait until a show happens on Sunday, Tuesday, or Thursday nights. That's when we do Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We'll be on there tonight, for example. Sometimes I can't wait until that long. I don't want a line to move against us, so I'll release them on Twitter. So follow me at Late Kick Josh for all that fun. And with that, let's dive in this morning. I want to get busy because I want to get as many in as I can. And Richie starts us off this morning with what most, I would say, outside of the Big 12 would probably... I don't, you know what? Let me not say that. I was going to say people consider it the game of the week. This is what happens when you grow up in Columbus, Georgia. Tennessee, Georgia, that's the spotlight game in the SEC. True enough. But then you get Florida A&M. You also have Miami Clemson. That's a huge one. That's a top 10 matchup. It's just that the polls feel kind of weird this year. Because you got teams not participating. And so top 10 matchup, top 15 matchup, does it carry the same weight? It is a huge one. Either way, it's a huge one. And then you also have, oh, I don't know if you've heard about it, Texas OU. That's happening this weekend too. So a big game. One of the big games of the weekend, Tennessee, Georgia. That's where we're going to start off with Richie's question. Since both Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt were defensive coordinators under Nick Saban, how similar of a defensive approach do you think they'll take in this weekend's matchup? I guess I'm asking, who do you think has the coaching edge in that game? You've already done a great job of breaking down the talent on the field, but who has the coaching edge? Richie, this is a layered question, I think, because the coaching edge 
really comes down to what kind of talent do you have to work with? Now, I'm going to remove my opinion here for a second. I'm going to tell you what people at Alabama have told me. The people at Alabama have told me they don't think they ever had a better football mind come through there than Jeremy Pruitt. That it's everyone included. Okay, they think he's the best defensive coordinator they had, and that's everyone included. So that includes Kirby Smart. Now, it's not to knock Kirby Smart. They're not knocking Kirby Smart, but Jeremy Pruitt, they loved him. They thought he was the best evaluator. Talent evaluation is huge in this game. Huge. Jeremy Pruitt evaluates talent as good as anyone on planet Earth. When it comes to evaluating defensive talent, no one better than Jeremy Pruitt. So you had not only that, not only did you have an A-plus evaluator, but you had an A-plus coach too. So there, there was really, it was going to be hard to overtake that. And Kirby did a great job for a long time there. But as it relates to this weekend's game, who has the coaching edge? Well, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't necessarily have the kind of versatility in depth in the front seven that Kirby Smart does, which means Kirby Smart can afford to do more things. Kirby Smart can be a lot more personnel versatile. He can be a lot more multiple in his looks. He can do all that stuff. Jeremy Pruitt, on the other hand, hopes to be there one day with his talent, but at this point, he's not there. They're not bad now. I'm not saying they are, but that's a different approach you have to take. It's sort of a one-size-fits-all. There aren't varying personnel packages he can throw out there in any given situation quite like Kirby Smart can. I also don't think Tennessee possesses quite the confidence in their corners that Kirby Smart does, and that's really where Pruitt wants to get. Pruitt ultimately wants to get to where he can trust his corners. Doesn't even doesn't even matter who's coming up Saturday. Okay, it can be a nameless, faceless opponent. You could reach your hand into a bag and draw any random team out. Whoever's coming out of that bag, I got corners on my team. Like for instance, Kirby does with Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes. It does not matter. They're going to play Alabama next week, and I can guarantee you, Kirby Smart, whether he'll be right or wrong. He'll look at John Mechie or Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith, and he'll say, these are some of the best in America. These are some of the best receivers in America. I got racehorses here that I can trust against them. Jeremy Pruitt's not in a place where he can say that yet. So how does that impact the way you call a game? Now, the difference, I guess the key difference in this one is, I said the other night, and I'll kind of reiterate this, I don't know that Tennessee looks over at Georgia and says they got a quarterback that's really going to expose us. That he's really going to flex us in a lot of places and put pressure on this aspect or that aspect of our defense. And that sounds obviously like a slide against Stetson Bennett, which is not. It's just reality. And it's I'm removing myself from it. Hey, I'm telling you, I think that's what they think. You know, that's how you give yourself an excuse to say anything you want to. No, 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 it's not my opinion. I think they think it. Get mad at Jeremy Pruitt. Don't get mad at me. He's the one who theoretically thinks it. But I do, I do think that's how they view Georgia. And so, as a result, I don't necessarily know that he thinks he needs dominant cornerback play this week. Probably got some 50-50 balls you know, that, that you're going to have to win on, but that's any given football game outside of playing a triple option team. That's any given football game. So, I don't know that the coaching edge necessarily is what I'd pay attention to, Richie, because both these dudes know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. I'd pay more attention to personnel. You know, when, when you need, I remember last week watching Adam Anderson for Georgia, and Adam Anderson is a dude that's totally anonymous to most of the country. If you follow recruiting, you 
vaguely remember the name. A few cycles ago, he was a five-star guy. And if you follow Georgia, you know the name. If you follow Georgia really close, you know the name. But outside of that, I mean, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you don't know who Adam Anderson is. And yet last week, all of a sudden, you see him making all these plays. And even if you follow college football pretty hardcore, you say, I don't know who Adam, who is Adam Anderson? I'm looking at my, my preview magazine I bought four months ago, and I don't see his name listed as a starter here. Who is he? That's the point. That's the kind of rotation that they can do. That's the kind of versatility. That's the kind of multiplicity in personnel packages they have at Georgia. They just bring guys like that off the bench. He's just waiting there. And then this week against Tennessee, maybe you don't even see him. Next week against Alabama, he'll have 15 or 20 snaps, minimum, because that's the kind of offense that you get guys like Adam Anderson to try and stop. Next up is Noah. I think it's clear that the Big 12 is a hot mess. Before the season, I thought TCU had a real chance at the Big 12 title. They lost to your Iowa State. Yes, they did, Noah. But they've beaten Texas, and Oklahoma already has two losses. If Oklahoma State also loses at some point, which I think they will, do you think TCU has a good shot at the conference title? Side note, I'd also like to mention... I think it'd be a great idea to drop late kick merchandise. I love the second point, Noah. I'll leave it at that because the appropriate parties are already listening. Let's get back to the first point. The first point is anyone has a shot in the Big 12. Anyone. Noah, I'm not so sure that if you found 11 or 12 of your closest friends and put together a team, I'm not sure I would count you guys out. You got 12, so we had to add some depth there. Got a guy to come off the bench. I'm not so sure I'd count you out, and I'm certainly not counting TCU out. Hopefully, from this point moving forward with Max Duggan, they get steady quarterback play, which is what cost them in earlier games. And secondly, or did I already do secondly? Well, thirdly, tertiarily, if you will, yes, they've got a shot. Why wouldn't they? Uh, Oklahoma, not only did you mention they have two losses, I don't know that Oklahoma's done losing. Even if they are, those are two losses already on their resume. And secondly, uh, Texas and OU play each other this weekend, so there's going to be at least one loser, if not more. Uh, Oklahoma State is the team that, hey, I haven't dropped one yet, and they are the one who's playing defense out there, allegedly playing defense better than anyone, or apparently is the more proper word. It's not alleged. I've seen it happen. Better, playing better defense right now than anyone. So maybe they've got the most shot at being consistent, but remember how the Big 12 works. It's not division format. It's taking the top two teams. So you don't need to overtake everyone. You just need to overtake everyone but one and get yourself a spot in that title game. Yeah, I think TCU has got more than a reasonable shot at making the conference title game. All right, Miller's next up. And let me just read the question, then I'll address it on the other side. Miller asked me in a dead serious manner, what would you say your top three favorite Jordans are of all time? He's talking about the shoe. What are, your, what are my top three Jordans of all time? Miller, sometimes it's questions like these that make me think you don't know me at all. I haven't bought a new pair of shoes in about two years, minimum two years. I probably, combined over the last decade, have not bought more than four or five pairs of shoes. All-encompassing, folks, not just sneakers, not just tennis shoes. I'm talking about everything. Obviously, aside from like the little throwaway flip-flops you buy when you go to the beach. So having said that, I couldn't tell you anything about any pair of Jordans. I have no clue. 
I have absolutely no clue. Brad Crawford works for us here at 24-7, and he has a huge sneaker collection. Sometimes when I hear him talking about his shoes, I look like Marla Hooch looked in a league of their own when they send her to beauty and etiquette classes, and she's walking around trying to be graceful and proper and balance that book on her head, and she's kind of slumped over in turtle posture, and she's awkwardly looking to the left and right because she's been raised basically like a boy, and now all of a sudden they're trying to get her to act like a lady. Well, when I'm around normal people who buy lots of shoes and I'm looking around and I'm wearing the same thing to go run that I wear to church, I'm looking around saying, I don't know how I got here, but I never, something tells me I don't belong in this conversation. So I don't know, Miller, <laughs> to answer your question. I don't know. I'm sure they're nice. I'm sure that you know when I watch people fighting each other at a shopping mall over a pair of them, and I'm sure everyone in that fight has got their life together in proper perspective. Maybe I just need to learn a little something from them. A lot of you ask questions about boosters sometimes, and I just got a really good one. It's a layered one. It's got basically everything you'd ever want to know behind the scenes. And I got a really juicy story for you about how Nick Saban walked in the door like it was a saloon and the, the saloon doors flung open and Nick Saban, basically his spurs jangling on the ground. He walked in and he said, it's going to be them or me. I'm going to tell you that story when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Next up, it's a good question here. It's kind of a multi-layered question, sort of a, an inside baseball in the weeds sort of deal. But it, it is the lifeblood of college football. We all know booster support is critical to a program. I have a few questions about it. Who has the best booster program? Who does the least with the most? And finally, has COVID impacted booster support this year? That is from Josh. So I love the name, first off. Secondly, uh, let me work backwards. Yes, COVID has impacted booster support this year, and it's disproportionate too. You can't just line up every program and say, okay, relative to what you normally get, we can assume that we're going to shave, pick a number, 27% off that number. That's not it. If you got, for instance, a huge donor class that is flush with cash from ONG, oil and gas, maybe they've been impacted more than people who have cattle futures riches, you know, just picking things out of the air. It sounds like I'm talking about the Big 12, doesn't it? So I'm just picking things out of the air, but it, it is disproportionately impacted. Like what if, for example, your five biggest donors are rich because they invested in something called Zoom a few years ago? Well, everyone's using Zoom right now. What if you have folks who own a bunch of FedEx trucking lines? Well, everyone's shipping stuff right now. So 
If you got oil and gas versus a FedEx fortune, those are disproportionately impacted, which means your donors will be disproportionately impacted. So it's very much a case by case on that. As for the next question, who does the least with the most? Oh, I think we got to go back out to the Big 12 footprint, don't we? But it's not just the Big 12. We're going to the footprint, but I think we're going to the intersection of the Big 12 and the SEC footprints. How, are, how is the answer anything other than Texas and Texas A&M? Because they've got the most. You're talking about the big boys, not only on the block, but in the entire arena of college football. The kind of money that they have at A&M and Texas is incredible. They can do whatever they want to, whatever they want to. Even in a COVID year, they can do whatever they want to. And yet, when we look at results, what do we have? We got a national title in 05, and there you go. That's really what we're looking at. So, yeah, I would suffice it to say that's where they do the least with the most. If you, by least you mean results. Because if you go to these places, oh, there are always new construction projects underway. They've always been paying top dollar for coaches. They've always got a top dollar coaching staff, always got a top dollar recruiting budget. Oh, everything's on the up and up in those categories. What is the return on investment? These are folks that in their business worlds would never accept the ROI that they're getting in football. The danger is, in kind of going back to the first point, who has the best booster support? This is sort of a catch-22. It's one of the very, very fine lines. It's one of the balancing acts and high-wire acts that you have to know about and, and you have to master to a certain extent in college football. If you're an athletic director, if you're a board of regents, if you're a university president, You've got to understand who runs a college football program. You know, let me pause. I'll ask you that because five of you may have five different answers. Who runs a college football program? You know who runs an NFL organization. Who runs a college football program? Is it the athletic director? Is it the president? That's who it's supposed to be if you go by the letter of the law. Is it the football coach? Because uh, I guarantee you, you know the name Nick Saban. Do you know who the president of Alabama is? Do most of you know who the AD at Alabama is? And that'd be Greg Byrne. He's a high-profile AD in the AD world. But do you know his name in, uh, in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Do you know his name? Probably not. You know Nick Saban's name. Who runs college football programs? And the answer is, it depends. It's case by case. You got some places where you've got a very iron-fisted athletic director. You got some places where you got a rock star head coach. You got some places where the president's word is the final word. And you got some places where boosters run the show and you really have puppets in most of those other positions. So that's a case by case. But what you have to be careful of, regardless of what the dynamic is, even when you have the right dynamic, if you don't have an effective booster program, if you don't have an engaged and involved donor class, you're dead. You have to have it because the others have it. You have to have it. But with that, with the money that they give, comes a lot of times the need for access. Very rarely will you find people so philanthropic in nature that they're willing to open up their pocketbook and then close it and then say, all right, good luck with that. No, most of the time it's yeah, I'll, I'll give you $800,000 this year. Yeah, I'll give you one point three this year. Um, what are we going to do at defensive coordinator? Because let me tell you, I was watching 
I was watching TCU the other day. I was, I was watching Washington the other day. And, I, boy, I, I, like that, I like that fellow they have out there. Let's, let's call him up. You know, right, $1.3 million, you know, I think I at least deserve to suggest that he gets an interview. Well, here's the problem. This dude owns a bunch of Burger King franchises. He knows nothing about hiring a defensive coach. Unfortunately, you need his money. And so sometimes you got to say, all right, Mr. Jefferson, all right, we'll, we'll call him up. We'll get him an interview. You don't think that happens? That happens all the time. So how do you balance it? You need Mr. Jefferson's money. You do not need his input. You're not hiring a burger flipper. All due respect to Burger Flippers. I've had jobs far less desirable than that before. Uh, I, I longed to work in a Burger King kitchen at one point. And so you need the money. You don't need the input. Can you get the money without the input? Hopefully the answer is yes. More times than not, the answer is no. Good question there, though. There's a lot of that that goes on behind the scenes. And in fact, before I move on, a little side story here. Let me tell you, if you want to know how, how much of a boss Nick Saban is, since I just mentioned him, when he came in the door in 2007 at Alabama, keep in mind, he hadn't won his five national titles there yet. In fact, he was going to go on to lose to Louisiana Monroe and barely make a bowl game that first year. But he knew who he was. He knew where he wanted to go. And everyone had confidence. I mean, it's not like he was some nobody when he came in there. But when he came in there... Alabama was a cesspool in a lot of ways behind the scenes. There were a lot of folks who were the Mr. Jeffersons of the world or worse. Mr. Jefferson is purely made up, by the way. This is not a code name for anyone else. He's purely made up. Mr. Jefferson is our imaginary booster, okay? And they had a lot of Mr. Jeffersons. Worse, in fact. They had folks just kind of running things that had their hand in the pie. And this is the worst of the worst kind, the kind that would rather the program be mediocre and they have power than the program be great and they be on the outside looking in. That's bad. And they had it there. And Nick Saban comes in and he understands. He knows how that works behind the scenes. He, he's, he's seen it at multiple stops. So he gets there, starts to get the lay of the land, starts to understand the booster network, starts to understand you know, the, the power structure that exists at Alabama. And I know that story has been told about Mal Moore, you know, going to Miami and refusing to leave until Nick Saban would meet with him. And, and that story has been told. It's a great story. One of the aspects of that story I have not heard told is what Saban did once he got to Alabama. You know, he made demands. I'm, I'm going to need you to commit to this and this and that. And he got a yes to all those because money wasn't going to be really an object for them. But when he got there, there were more demands. And those demands were, I am not running a program where boosters have a say-so in the way we run this thing. That's not the way we're going to succeed, and that's not the way I'm interested in doing it. And if that's going to be the way that it's done here, I'm not the guy for this job. I'll have zero tolerance for it. I'm not the guy for you. So you need to make up your mind. Who runs this place? Because if I take this job, I run this place. So let me tell you what that meant. Nothing. To big-time business types, they are alphas in their own world. They are in their world, in the business world, and in whatever industry they're in. They are the Nick Sabans. They don't get talked to like that. Okay, they look at Nick Saban and say, you know, with all due respect, you draw up plays on a chalkboard. You, you play a game. You coach a game for a living. I've made my millions in business. I've sat in boardrooms. I wear suits every day that are worth more than the scholarships you give players. That's the attitude. So Saban walks in, 
and it is a clash of uh, figurative titans in a sense that you have egos on both sides. Well, Saban walked in, and he had the trump card. He had all the leverage. They needed him for that football program a lot more than he needed the football program because he could have just stayed in the NFL. And so what he said when he got there was, it's either going to be them or me because it became obvious that there were some donors at Alabama, there were some major boosters at Alabama, I'm talking seven-figure-a-year types, who were not going to be seven-figure-a-year types unless they had the influence and input that they were used to having. They disassociated boosters. When Saban got there, they disassociated themselves with some seven-figure-per-year donors. Understand what I just said. Nick Saban's stroke was such that when he walked in, he forced them to look at folks who were handing them a million-plus-dollar-per-year check and said, no thanks, your money's no good here, take it somewhere else. He took the check, got in their face, ripped it up, and said, there's the door. That's the kind of stroke Nick Saban has. So Saban notwithstanding, that's the exception to the rule. Most coaches don't have that power. But Saban walked in and said, I'm running this thing. If you have any other folks out there who own car dealerships, but since they have money or under the illusion that they get to run part of this too, you tell them they can run it. They're just going to run it and continue to go six and six because I'm not going to be the head coach here. And guess what? Alabama chose Nick Saban over a dude who owns a car dealership or 10 or 20. And thus, Alabama is what they are today. I think they made the right move. Scooter is next up. He says, I'm a burnt orange loyalist. On one of your recent shows, you said teams like OU and Texas should at worst be one year away from competing at any given time. Since that's not the case for many teams that occupy the top 15 in the composite, and that is the 24-7 sports composite ratings recruiting-wise, could you expound upon your thoughts during the next podcast regarding why teams should turn it around quicker than they do? Scooter, you, yeah, you accurately quoted me. So, to reiterate for those who may have missed that, what I was talking about with teams like Oklahoma or Texas, teams that have all the advantages, is this isn't the NFL. That's the point. In the NFL, no one has all the advantages. Every team is equal. You don't recruit there. You do, it's not a place where you have three times the budget in Kansas City that you do in Jacksonville. Everything is made to balance the scales in the NFL, and it is a parity-driven sport. Everything is made to force everything to the middle. And so to rise up, you truly have to be great. Now, if you suck, you'll still sink to the very bottom. But the sport is trying its hardest to pull you up. In college football, no one's trying to pull you up and no one's trying to pull you down. It's You can be as good as you want to be. You can suck as bad as you want to. But at Oklahoma and Texas, the point is, and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan, the point is, the sport is built for you. The sport is tilted in your favor, heavily, might I add. In college football, the better you do, the more you get rewarded. And over time, over the decades, the better that you've done, you have cemented yourself into a permanent upper class. That doesn't mean you always win, but you always have a better shot at winning because you have more built-in advantages. You have better facilities you built over the years. You have better prestige, better tradition, better branding. You get better coverage that you don't even have to pay for, which in turn sells your program to the masses for you. You also have 
obviously a bigger, as we just talked about, donor network. You carry the freight. You get a bigger say at the negotiating table when it comes to conference matters. Everything's tilted in your favor. You probably got three times the recruiting budget as the lower quarter of your conference does just because of who you are and what you've established over the years. And with all that being said, this isn't the NFL. The turnaround should not be a three- or four-year rebuild. The reason sometimes it takes that, Tennessee is a good example of this. There's no excuse why Tennessee has been mired in the mediocrity and less that they've been mired in, but they are that way because they made a few bad decisions in a row. You can afford one bad decision. You can't afford to make two or three of them in a row because then you, you bring yourself down to the same level of programs with fractions of the resources that you have. So you're not immune to it. I'm not saying you're immune to it. You're just capable of flying higher. It's like, um, you know, those spy planes that fly way, way, way above the Earth's surface, so high that when you look up, you see space instead of just more blue sky. Like, they're capable of flying that high. They could crash. They could, just like any other plane, they could. I hope you're not flying this morning, folks. They could crash, but... At their best, look what they're capable of. You can't take a commercial airliner 250,000 feet in the air. You can take those spy planes that high. That's not an exact altitude, by the way. I think it's more like 70 or 80,000, something like that. But you get my point. And so with Texas and OU, Texas, Texas has made several bad decisions in a row. That's why they've been where they've been. Oklahoma hasn't. Oklahoma's made good moves. And so Oklahoma, let's say, so they've lost two games right now. They let's say they lose this weekend. Let's say Oklahoma goes four losses this year. Let's just say they do. I mean, that would be a terrible year for Oklahoma. Do you have any reason to believe they won't be a contender next year? Because I don't. I think they'd be right there. I think they'd be a contender the next year. The reason? Year-over-year recruiting. It's not. It should not let them fall off. If they have the right head coach, which I believe they do, and they have the right infrastructure in place, which I believe they do, there's never an excuse for that. Now, conversely, if we look in the SEC and we look at a Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, Mississippi State, programs of that caliber, they have to build two or three years ahead of time towards hopefully what I call a pop year, which is where they exceed expectation. They can't maintain that altitude. They can't cruise there because they don't have the resources relative to the other teams that they compete against. And so I always make excuses for those programs. Uh, Vanderbilt, poor Vanderbilt, I'll never advocate for anyone to ever be fired at Vanderbilt. I don't care if you go winless every year. I would expect you to go winless every year. What resources do you have? Uh, It's right here in my backyard. And I'm telling you, Vanderbilt, there are several high school football programs in the state of Texas with better facilities than Vanderbilt. That's not a joke. I'm not even smiling while I say it. That's dead serious. So, you are, you are so inferior from a resources standpoint, why would I ever expect you to compete? Conversely, if I walk through the hallways in College Station at Texas A&M, I look around and say, how can you ever not compete with all this? So that's kind of where I come from with that, Scooter. Next up is Brendan. He said, could you please give a quick breakdown of the Louisville versus Georgia Tech game Friday night? Well, sure. I don't see why not. Uh, we're going to go quick. This is not going to be a 10-minute breakdown. Uh, the key for Georgia Tech here after they started out hot against a Florida State team that, as it turns out, everyone beats this year, almost including Jacksonville State. The key here is got to make Louisville feel the need to throw to beat you. Uh, Malik Cunningham has shown flashes this year. That's the quarterback for Louisville. I think he's got, um, I want to say it's a 9-5 to 
touchdown to interception ratio. So when he's good, he's good. But when he's bad, he's bad too. So Javion Hawkins is the running back there for Louisville. That will be the name of the game for them. And if they feel like they can control the game on the ground, it greatly alleviates the need to stress you through the air to win. I think a lot will be dedicated towards making them throw to win. And as a result, I think it's a turnover game. I think it's a, it's one of those where you look at it and sometimes the turnover margin is disproportionate to the outcome. This is one where I feel the turnover margin will be right in line with the outcome. We have Louisville as a little bit bigger favorite than the Vegas number does. We do our own in-house numbers. And so my number is a little bit north of, I believe, four or four and a half, which is what's out there right now. So we would lean Louisville minus the points, but it's certainly not one I'm confident enough in to make a move on this week. We're going to leave it alone, and we're going to watch it along with the rest of the world. All right, Stephen will wrap us up this morning. Which game are you looking forward to the most this weekend? For me, it's Florida A&M. I'm a Gator fan, so that's obvious. What about you? I could make an argument. If this were a debate, I would make an argument for a number of, of games. Can you imagine if Miami and Clemson is close in the fourth quarter? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the sudden rush of viewership if you're not already watching to see if Miami can actually do it? When is the last time that you watched a conference game? And I'm not talking about like a Syracuse game where they kind of randomly pull an upset on Clemson or that Pitt game where they randomly pull an upset. When's the last time you saw a team who not only had a shot at upsetting Clemson, but you thought it was legitimate. It wasn't like just kind of a, a fly-in-the-ointment sort of deal where, yeah, that team just beat Clemson, but they'll still lose four games. How about a team that could beat them and then also contend for the ACC title? Like that's That could be what you're looking at if you turn that thing on in the fourth quarter Saturday night. And, oh, my goodness. Look at Manny Diaz. Look at the Eric King go. Look at Miami. Of course, Clemson could absolutely take care of business and have you turn the game off by the time the fourth quarter rolls around. I think Florida and A&M has as much subtext and intrigue as any game in America this weekend. A&M has to win Saturday, to put a finer point on it. If they lose Saturday, they are already, for all intents and purposes, out of the SEC race. They're already out of the college football playoff race. Now, you may not have them involved in the race, but they have themselves involved in it. That's how they fancy themselves. It's also a shot. I'm going to go to a couple of quarterbacks here. So let me tie in Tennessee and Georgia too. When you try and run through various scenarios, sometimes what I try and do is I try and map out what could Saturday night look like when the dust settles? What could we be saying that we didn't expect to be saying? Here's one storyline that we could be saying that no one would ever expect. What if at the end of the day Saturday, we find ourselves looking around and saying, how about that? Not only did Kellen Mond end up having his career day, not only did Jarrett Garantano end up having his career day, it happened on the same Saturday, and Tennessee pulled the upset on the back of Jarrett Garantano making big plays, and Kellen Mond restored order and had a career day for Texas A&M. Those are both point spread underdogs, but those are both teams with chances to win. What if it, because you think if Tennessee wins, you probably think ugly game, you think turnover fest, you think, oh man, ground and pound, and they just kept themselves in it, puncher's chance, and then in the end they pulled it off. What if Jarrett Garantano goes like um, 21 for 28 for 295 yards? I know it sounds very, very, um, very much a stretch against that Georgia defense, but you know, what if he did that? That's why we're saying it in this context. It's unexpected. And what if Kellen Mond, now it's probably a little bit, 
easier to picture someone having success against the Florida secondary, even though this is a team getting some players back this week. Um, I just mentioned all the games that I think are on the marquee. And then you also got the hurricane factor. You know, if, if Alabama and Ole Miss play as scheduled, and I can only go on the information I have as I'm recording early this Thursday morning, uh, what does Lane Kiffin look like in sideways rain down 35 points? Maybe he's not down 35 points. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma is intriguing more from a sadistic point of view for those of you outside the actual rivalry. A lot of people are going to tune in for the same reason they crane their neck when they look at a car wreck. For better or for worse, that's the state of affairs as the rest of America looks on at the Red River Shootout. So there's a lot to watch this weekend. We got Late Kick Live coming up tonight, Thursday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So subscribe there if you haven't already. Our numbers have been great there. Our numbers have been great here, too. Thank you so much for that. For producer, i got to get these names right, for producer Jordan, and for myself, give me whatever title you want to. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening to the Late Kick Extra podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts